Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Oh, welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're, we're so excited to be here today because we have got our chief economist on who is uh, from the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, where we met him at Fabtech, and not only brilliant, but also humorous when it comes to economics, which is really unusual. So we're here with uh, Chris Keel and my co-host, Lou Weiss. Lou, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing well, great. I, was act- I actually was doing a lot better when we had uh, uh, Tim Fiore come out with the ISM report <laughs> at 10 o'clock. But then I, got, I fell into the crapper at noon when Mr. Trump came out with his tariff issue. But we'll, yeah, talk exactly. about, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so, Tim, indeed, indeed. Take it away. Well, let's talk about, Chris, the credit managers index. With the ISM popping at new highs, what's the credit managers feeling about the economy? Well, as you know, we often are on the opposite side of that conversation, but not this month. <laughs> We, we're we're almost on the verge of a trend. You know, I mean, I'm getting so desperate that if it's two months in a row, that's trendy enough for me. So we've now had two months in a row where the growth has been good, and we still have this kind of interesting difference between what we call the favorable factors and the unfavorables. And for those who have been faithful listeners and have not taken a nap when I start to talk, we know that the favorable factors are things like dollar collections, how well the credit managers are reaping the rewards. Um, they are things like sales, applications for credit, all the things that make a credit manager smile. Then the unfavorables are things like accounts out for collection and disputes and bankruptcies and slow pays. So the news on the favorable side is really, really good. We're getting some numbers that are in the 60s and high 50s. This month, they've all been in the 60s, which is an extremely good performance. Anything over 50 is expansion. We've seen the unfavorables slip a little bit, but not dramatically. Uh, they're still collectively just over that 50 line. They're just barely into expansion. But what's a little bit concerning is a few of those are in the 40s, which would suggest contraction. So there are still companies that are struggling. Um, They're either dealing with slow pays or maybe they have more collection activity. So it's, it's not that everybody is out of the woods, but we're seeing more companies do better than companies that are not doing so well. Are these buggy whip manufacturers who are in the 40s? Yes, it's buggy with manufacturers and people that are, no. Um, for the most part, it's kind of diverse. One of the things that we have noticed, and this happens every time an economy begins to expand, you get some companies that are well-positioned for growth, and they start to get aggressive. They're the ones who are going to be doing more marketing. They're probably doing more capital investment. They're hiring 
they've been anticipating that, so they begin to move. Their competitors may or may not be in a position to keep up, but they feel like they have to. And so they see that, you know, Acme Manufacturing down the road just got some new machines and they just hired some new people. And they're like, oh, man, if we don't do something, Acme is going to eat our lunch. So they go out and start doing that same thing. But they don't have the business to support it. So within a matter of a few months, now they have a credit issue because they went out and got the credit. They bought the machines kind of hoping that business would catch up. And in some cases it does, but in the cases where it doesn't, the company said, well, um, we expanded, which was great. Now if somebody would buy something, that would be even greater. (laughs) So we're sort of (laughs) watching some of these companies struggle a little bit because they didn't really have a choice. They couldn't just sit there and say, well, you know, we'll just wait until we're ready, and then we'll have no market share, and and that will be not so good either. So, so they're sort of putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, and you guys are familiar with that because, yeah, because I mean, it's just you have to think in the future. I mean, any manufacturer in particular, it's not like, you know, Walmart calls up and says, "Hey, I'd love to have your product," and and you say, "Fine, give me a couple of years, and then I'll make that for you." <laughs> and Walmart says. Hi, did I not identify myself as Walmart? I want that in my DC 30 minutes from now. You know, and you're like, well, but, but, you know, so you have to, you have to be ready. Right. So, so that, that being said, um, that probably relates to the, in the ISM report about the fact that um, the customers have low inventories um, and uh, they're, they're, they don't have the full confidence that the that the report uh, states. Because if you right, had exactly. full confidence, you'd have a lot more inventory. Absolutely. I mean, people are being – you're sort of walking that fine line between being enthusiastic but not ridiculous about it. Because if you look at some of the other statistical releases that we've seen just in the last few weeks, you know, we had the tax cut and we knew that people had more money to spend and people were getting bonuses. Wages were going up all of consumer confidence at a level it hasn't seen in 20 years. And everybody's like, wow, this is really great. And then you look at the retailers and they're like, yeah, but nobody's buying anything. And it's like, well, what? With, with all due respect, the increase in wages in this country that has not moved in decades went mm-hmm. up four four percent in twenty seventeen. That's not mm-hmm. exactly a reason why I would go out and jump from a Chevrolet to a Cadillac. Yeah, but you might <laughs> buy the twelve inch sub and not the six inch. I mean, you know, so yeah. <laughs> it it's it's one of those things that it it's sort of percolates into the economy and the retailers were not really expecting a tremendous windfall, but they were surprised that they didn't get a little bit of response from that extra money. Two theories that are running around. One is that, you know, it's not a big deal and people aren't going to do anything different because it wasn't that much money. More commonly when you've seen this, people see that they're getting a little bit more money Frankly, they have budgeted on the money they had before. So they look at this as, as kind of extra money 
and they start thinking, well, I don't think I'll spend it all in one place. Let's go to Disneyland this year. You know, let's <laughs> take an extra, you know, so they begin to orient towards vacationing or, you know, maybe they decide to buy something that they hadn't decided to buy before. And you'll see some of that show up in the summer. But that's from a manufacturer's perspective and from anyone's perspective. You're like, well, when when is this going to happen and when do I need to be ready? And if I get ready too soon, then, you know, I'm paying on the, the loan that I took out. You know, I have you know, capacity issues, all those sorts of things. I mean, none of this is news to your audience. This is the, the joy of being in manufacturing. It would be nice if, you know, we as consumers just simply said, hi, I plan to buy this in 2026. I just want to give you plenty of time to get ready. (laughs) Without putting up any money. Exactly. You know, I just, I'll be there, you know, March 2nd, you know, 2026, I'll I'll be ready. And just, you just have to be ready for me. You know, it's like, you know, we all know the game doesn't get played that way. Yeah. That'll work unless something doesn't work. Yep. Yeah, you know what well, they Chris, say. Life is Lou what is, happens when you're making other plans. So. That that's right. And I know that Lou is gnashing at the bit to ask you about the uh, the tariff issue. But before we yes. do that, let's take a quick break here. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services? or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Okay, Lou, you're up to bat. All right, here it comes, Chris. Here it comes. Yesterday was a great day. The ISM came out with a 60.8. Uh, I think it was six months in a row or something like that. It was uh, mm-hmm. above above uh, 60. And boy, did I feel good. And you know, it was just great. That was 10 o'clock in the morning. At 12 noon, our president announced a executive. Uh, executive uh, uh, action uh, imposing tariffs on uh, China, who we don't buy a lot of steel from, um, but uh, other countries are also involved, where there's a tariff, 25% on steel and 10% on aluminum. Well, I said, wow, that's a dumb idea. Yeah, very dumb. Bad, bad. I mean, trade wars, losing jobs, when George W. did this in 2002, we lost 200,000 jobs, uh, 30,000 of which came from one state, Ohio. They're still mm-hmm. recu- recuperating <laughs> from that. So, you know, and, and then I thought of you. 
I thought of you, and that's when I thought of you when everything's going to go along great unless. And right, this, right. This was the ultimate unless that this administration <laughs> has done. So they learned well, and, something and, from yeah. you about that. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we're we're dealing with, and we have dealt with ever since Trump came to office, is that many, many times he's still running a campaign. He says things which become policy now, where if you say them during a campaign, it's understood that, you know, this is a work in progress and we're going to blah, blah, blah. Because the Commerce Department came back after their study on Rule 232. This is the the official rubric under which this is done. And the idea is that you don't want to be vulnerable in key industries like steel and aluminum. So for national security purposes, you want to have some protection. So Commerce came back with three ideas. So you have three options. Option one uh, was to essentially set quotas and say that we're not going to change the price, no one's going to have a tariff, there is going to be a quota. Every country in the world will have a quota of how much steel they're allowed to send to the U.S., which will protect the steel industry, also keep prices about where they were. Option two would be to have a targeted tariff, which is, okay, you're upset with China, you're upset with Russia, maybe you're upset with somebody else, sanction them. Tell them that they're going to pay high tariffs and leave it at that. Option three was known as the global tariff, which says that everybody that sells steel to the U.S. is going to pay a 25% tariff. That was the option he chose, we think. But, in fact, his staff was unaware that he was going to make the statement when he made it, and they've been scrambling around ever since going, that's not what we said. That's not what we want to do. We do not want to cut off Canada, South Korea, Japan, Germany, Mexico, Turkey. They're the ones that provide our steel. And frankly, we haven't worried about the Canadians since 1812. And <laughs> and I think we won that one. You know, I mean, we, I'm still thinking that we could give them Detroit back and, and you know, see if all's forgiven. But that's, you know, that's just me. But... You know, it, it makes very little sense to do the, the nuclear option at this point. It does make sense if you are trying to control what's happening out of countries like China, because we know that they have been lowballing on steel prices for years. The damage that China did to us, they did 20 years ago. And that's the difficulty now. We have actually put quite a few barriers between us and the Chinese, and they're now four to six percent of our imports they're not what they used to be but it's kind of you know it's like the farmer just noticed that the horse left the barn and he's locking the door <laughs> and then his neighbor says uh i don't know how to tell you this bird but but the horse left five years ago um you know so it's a little late and but, so it it just it's maddening because as you say you know this is there are 6.8 million people whose jobs depend on industries that use steel. Right. Right. And China supplies us with the least amount of steel of all the countries you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, they're, so just, they're a minor player. And, yeah. you know, Canada is the number one. Uh, and those companies are actually connected to American steel companies anyway. So, 
it's it's a pretty it's a political move. It's something that he promised he would do during the campaign, and you know he's one of the most frustrating things with with an administration like this is that you just don't know from one day to the next what the actual policy is going to be. You know, it's it's on Tuesday he says this. On Wednesday, he changes his mind because he got opposition on Tuesday. Then people got mad at what he <laughs> said on Wednesday, and he goes back to what he said on Tuesday. And everyone's like, dude, you know, we would like to be able to plan more than 24 hours in advance. So it's – and it's frustrating, I know, because, you know, politicians get locked into a position, and, and then they can't change it because we won't let them. So I understand the danger of doing the other thing, but – for people in manufacturing right now, it's like, uh, how are we going to deal with this? And the way they're going to deal with it, obviously, is to hike their prices. So if we were worried about inflation before, which we were, we really have to worry about it now. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of potential, uh, you know, recession coming, the trade wars coming, uh, mm-hmm. pissing off Canada. I mean, who could... Who can piss off Canada? They're so nice. You know, it's really <laughs> hard to do. You know, and, and you have to put things in context because it's like you're picking on Canada now. We just beat their hockey team for they're already in a bad mood. You know, right. so <laughs> let's not push it, you know. Right. <laughs> so that was my uh, yesterday where you were very high on my mind about the unless. Do you, do you see any unlesses coming down the road? Because yesterday, um, ISM also said in, in their commentary with us is that the the economy as it seems to be going is a real good likelihood it's going to go the rest of the year this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot noon. of things are yeah, they're, yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of things pointing to a strong economy. What Many economists are a little concerned about, and this is something that's not by any stretch of the imagining guaranteed, but it's the one worry that most people express. We stimulated the economy at a sort of weird time. Instead of doing it when the economy was moribund and needed the help, we began to throw the tax cut and the stimulus in as it was already growing. So the fear is that we'll overheat the economy. There'll be too much expansion and you'll begin to see inflation. We haven't seen inflation for a good 10 years, but now wages are starting to go up a little bit. Commodities will now start going up because of the steel tariff and other things. When that begins to happen, you then start looking at the Fed saying, okay, you're seeing inflation. This is what you're set up to control. What are you going to do? And if we listen to the comments by the Fed chair this last week, he said, well, I guarantee you we're going to raise the rates three times this year. That's expected. But then he drops a little bomb and says, yeah, but it could be more. And so now we're talking, yeah, interest rates start getting up to respectable levels, and it just slows things down. You know, our we saw what happened at the stock market. You know, all it took was a good wage increase number, and a lot of people on the market panicked because they depend on these loose monetary policies. And if they reverse, then a lot of those companies and investors want to get out of those positions. So 
I've been describing this year as, and my recommendation is enjoy the heck out of the first six months. It's going to be great. The last six months, find a hole and 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 just hide um, and hope for the best. But it could be it could be a, a real contrast to the first six months. Um, if we're lucky, maybe we go nine months before we start to feel the, the hurt. But I'm almost as certain as I can be that even if this is a good year, yeah, 2019 is not going to look so hot. And, you know, this is just the opposite of normally the way it goes. Normally the mm-hmm. first quarter is the weak quarter, and mm-hmm. the end of the year is the strong quarter. So Mr. Trump decided to put a, uh, a headwind into the atmosphere, and um, we'll have whatever we're going to wind up having. Well, it's just it's one of those things where steel, aluminum, those sort of commodities are so integral to so many things. I mean, we've been talking sure. about manufacturers because that's the focus of the show. This is not called the construction show. But all this talk about infrastructure, we've got to rebuild the highways and the bridges and, you know, all that kind of, that's steel. And, you know, we already were trying to figure out where we were going to come up with the money for the infrastructure. Well, we've just added 25% to the cost of what we couldn't afford already. So it it becomes problematic, and you suddenly start seeing, well, maybe we're not going to build that new airport. Maybe we're not going to fix up the ports. Maybe we're not going to fix that bridge. Well, maybe it's a good thing that we finish building or rebuilding the Tappan Zee Bridge for the measly $2 billion at that cost. Because now well, it could course. cost uh, two and a half, three billion. Exactly. So I just, you know, hey, at some point we're just we're going to have to go back to barges and you know horses pulling people across the that, river and things that, like that. That works. That works. <laughs> did so you want Chris to say Lou something? I, did you want to? Did you want to get yeah, into this? Yeah, I wanted to get a word in edgewise here. <laughs> yeah, turn sideways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Chris, Lou and I were having this conversation earlier, and our conclusion is that in order to get the tariffs in place, it has to be passed by Congress, not executive Mm -hmm. order. Is that consistent with everything you know about our Constitution? Well, actually, um, because of Rule 232, this is something the president can do kind of on his own. Um, This is a provision that is basically revolving around national security. So if you can make the case that national security is is confronted by this, you can bypass Congress. Now, Congress can intervene and reverse the decision, but, I mean, you know, Congress at this point would have a hard time deciding that today is Friday. You know I mean? So (laughs) I'm not really sure that that's, that's an option, but this is something that's, that's kind of in the realm of executive action. And so there's, it's not something that really has to be approved by anyone. Um, the actual, and not that I've seen anyway, the actual verbiage hasn't come out yet. And there's some conjecture still that the staff is going to say, uh, Mr. Trump, sir, we didn't really mean to pick on Canada. Um, and they will either get an exemption or, It'll be told, you know, that, you know, okay, everyone else is paying a 25% tariff. You're paying a 1% tariff because that's within the provision, too. It's not guaranteed that everyone pays 25%. There could be a sliding scale. 
and and you end up picking on the countries that you most want to pick on, and everybody else gets a, a pass. Well, he doesn't pick on Russia, so Russia doesn't have to worry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, China, and we don't, frankly, we don't buy a Russia, lot from China. And Russia supplies more steel to us now than China does. Um, so if mm-hmm. we're if we're worrying about, and it still comes down to what the steel industry itself really needs to be competitive. And there are lots of things that the steel sector has asked for over the years, if but not the least of which is having a, a better ability to deal with with metals that are being recycled. I mean, right now, it's very difficult to scrap a ship in the United States because of environmental laws. Those are all being scrapped elsewhere, and we now have a scrap steel-based steel industry, and we're denied uh, access to the biggest source of scrap steel in the world. Not to mention that I'm not sure we pull a lot of coke out of the ground in this country anymore either no, we to don't. charge new coke steel. No, we don't because you know the majority of of the steel operations now are mini mills, electric mills. They work with scrap and they do it very efficiently. But we've seen a reduction in scrap. It's a harvestable resource, but there are fewer cars being scrapped and those that are being scrapped have less steel in them than they used to we have fewer teardowns than we used to um so the number one source globally is still shipping you know we're still selling our decommissioned warships to china so they can scrap it for their steel so chris we did this uh, i don't know if you if we all are going to remember this or if it's a figment of my imagination but I think there was some time around the 80s when our steel industry was uh, not doing great and they were going out of business and they shut down plants. And then we called the Chinese and the Japanese over and said, hey, why don't you take a look at this property, see what you could do with these steel mills. They came mm-hmm. over, we sold it to them, they took them apart, dismantled them, took them to China, put them back up, made steel, sold them to us so that we could put a tariff on them. Boy, mm-hmm. that really makes a lot of sense. Well, it's it's one of those one of those circumstances where it's difficult for a country like the United States to be as competitive in a commodity based business as other parts of the world because the countries that have an advantage when it comes to commodities have low production costs, they have low labor costs, they have low environmental costs. I mean, the steel industry isn't going to be asking people to abrogate environmental laws so they can pollute to their heart's content. But, you know, privately they'll tell you, it's like, well, you know, the Chinese companies don't have to deal with this. You know, the Russian companies don't have to deal with this. I mean, they can do whatever they want to and and not have to pay for it. We can't. You know, we're held to standards. And frankly, I'm glad they are. I mean, I don't want to live in some of the places I've seen in Russia where it's like, oh, don't worry about air. If you eat it with spoon, it's good. Um, and, you know, so it's, but we're competing. Yeah, very true. <laughs> Chris, before we wrap up, I'm going to take one more quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. 
All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. And, and we're back with our spoons to eat the air in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> we'll be sure to send them our old silver. <laughs> exactly, exactly, well, you know. Well, Chris, so you're not one of the guys uh, out there saying, ooh, this could roll 2018, 2019 could be good, and maybe it'll tip in 2020. You see the roller coaster heading over the, the peak long before. Well, I think it really depends on what happens with inflation, you know, so, and that's that's fundamentally why we worry about things like steel tariffs, is that if this does result in a fairly substantial price hike for anyone using steel, well, it's just one more thing to, to goose inflation. We know that wages are going up, that's a factor. We know that there's full employment, that's a factor, so... The thing that worries economists most is an inflationary period because recessions hurt, but they don't hurt everybody. You know, a lot of people make a lot of money during a recession. Inflations are brutal to everybody, uh, and it really knocks an economy down. And because of that, the Federal Reserve takes it very seriously. And I worry about a circumstance where we get enough inflation that we have the resurrection of Paul Volcker, who just sits there and says, yeah, I'm going to yank interest rates up to epic levels and throw the country into a recession. It's whatever it takes to kill inflation. And we've done that on more than a few occasions. And the people who are in the Fed right now would not be adverse to taking that kind of a drastic step. Yes, I remember my seventeen mortgage rate that I used to have in the uh, oh, yeah. uh, late uh, early eighties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do yeah, want to remind fun. our, I do want to remind our voters, I mean listeners, that when some <laughs> government body decides to increase the cost of something, you're not immune. Seventy percent of this economy is driven by consumer spending, which mm-hmm. means buying, mm-hmm. which means Price is going up, folks. But they got a yep. tax relief. Yeah, they the four percent they got they, a six percent loss. That's right. Yeah, they, 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 they can buy that big sub sandwich. They're happy now. So Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we may have lost half of our listeners because we were kind of anti what's going on. So for all those who are uh, supporters of the other side. We've only been joking today. We love That's you right. all. We love you all. But we got to well, keep an it, eye it out. Well, it comes down to, to wishing that we had done things to help the steel industry when it really needed the help. And and, it, and there's still things that we can do. I mean, it's, it's the fact that, you know, if the Canadians and the Germans and the Japanese can produce steel profitably, surely so can we. And in many cases, it's because they've gotten significant help from the government in places that matter and so it's i don't mind helping the industry not at all steel is critical uh, but it does not have to come at the expense of manufacturers which are also critical 
Well, Chris, wrap up your segment for us, and then Lou and I are going to wrap up the show. What else can you throw at us to dazzle our day? Well, I think I'll just go back to the to the CMI. This is kind of why I'm here, and indicate that the best news that is coming out of the Credit Managers Index right now is simply that those positive things are so positive, you know, that you're seeing so many more applications for credit. You're seeing a lot more credit being extended. People are having a good time when it comes to collecting on the credit that they've issued. All of this is a good indication of solid, solid growth. Until you start to see some of those numbers come back down, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. That's why I'm I may not see the whole year being exciting, but I'm definitely high on the next six to nine months. And, you know, at this point, you know, you take what you can get, and if we can stretch it out a little longer, great. But in the meantime, you know, enjoy the party. Do, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with one last question, and uh, it's going to be a short question as opposed to most of my long uh, questions. And that is, do you see uh, – what we've been talking about with the tariffs, as it filters into uh, into the economy, how is that going to directly affect or not affect the credit managers' index? It'll probably affect it pretty dramatically because a good half of our index is manufacturing, and we have a really, really strong presence in things like automotive and machinery, the energy sector, that sort of thing, those were all going to start to see some response. What is a little worrisome is that if the prices of these things get high enough that their customer base erodes, you're going to see these companies struggle. Because both of us, and we all know that automotive, energy, all of these, it's a huge supply chain. You know, It's not just Ford and GM. It's the thousands of companies that supply Ford and GM. So if those cars are not selling the way that they'd hoped because they've gotten more expensive, then this trickles down to little manufacturers all over the country who are making a specific part, whether it's made of steel or not. Well, I'm glad I asked that last question. Now I'm going to be totally depressed for the rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Can they take it back? (laughs) (laughs) Chris, uh, Chris, thanks for being with us. It's always wonderful having you here. Very good. Thanks for the opportunity, and we'll talk to you next month. You got it. it. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye. And we've been speaking speaking with uh, Dr. Chris Keel, who is the Chief Economist for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, he also does some other work with the Armada Corporate Intelligence as its managing partner, and we enjoy having him on the show. Lou, I'm sorry you're going to be depressed for the rest of the day. <laughs> I mean, really, it started out great like yesterday and turned totally the other direction. But it's always fun having him on. We get the humorous aspect of misery, and uh, we'll see him <laughs> next month. We do have our uh, women and manufacturing show. Uh, every uh, Wednesday. I want to remind everybody about that. And uh, the, the show's doing great. A lot of a lot of listeners and a lot of downloads. Uh, we're very proud of the uh, five women, six women who are hosting our shows. They're doing a great job. And uh, they're, they're really, they've got some wonderful guests. 
and I strongly recommend that you listen to it and learn something by it. Jim? As always, mfgtalkradio.com is where you can find all of our radio shows, all of our news stories. Uh, Send us an email if you want to get in touch with us. We appreciate all of our listeners and all of the people who download us through all the RSS feeds around the world, and we'll talk to you all real soon. Thanks Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.